everyone here would be able to look and hear past my voice, but Lord, that you would touch my voice tonight, that I may be able to bring you forth your word in a way <clears throat> where you get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And Lord, we just, we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do tonight. Open hearts, open spirits, open minds, so that we may be able to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Um, I'm going to be uh, speaking from Genesis this evening. And um, usually I, I'm, I'm speaking on Genesis on Sunday morning. But I want to go over or go uh, over just uh, the two verses because there's, there is someone in here that we can really kind of overlook him. And I don't want to overlook him because he's very, very important <clears throat> to us. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> when you all have it, say amen. amen. You can find the book fast, huh? <laughs> Genesis 15, 1 and 2 says this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Go ahead and have a seat tonight. When I read this portion of scripture, it's kind of easy to just read through it and kind of skim over some of the real biblical nuggets that are in these two scriptures. And on Sunday, I brought out about God being our shield, God being our, our great reward. But now I want to focus in on, on Abram and his reply back to the Lord, because when I was reading it, I don't know about you, but doesn't it sound like a complaint? Like, what good are all the blessings you've given me? How many of us have ever said that to God? What good are all these blessings you've given me? You haven't given me the one thing that you promised me. You promised me you were going to do this. So, so what if I have a nice house? So what if I have a car? So what if I have a good job? So what? You haven't given me that. And that's exactly what Abram was telling God. What good are all these blessings? So what if I have, I'm rich? So what if I have servants? So what if I have a wife? So what? I don't have what you promised me. And then God tries to come back to Abram and tell him, you know what? All things are going to work out together for good. Just hang on. Don't worry about it. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. But Abram comes back just a little irritated, just a little complaining attitude. Anybody ever had that little complaining attitude? See, because God had made a promise to Abram about 10 to 15 years before. And we are told in Genesis 12, 7, that the Lord told him, to your offspring, I will give this land. How many 
promises has God given you for your children, for your family, for your job, for your finances, for your health? How many promises has he given you? And how many of us have said, what good is it? See, it had been already a while back. 10, 15 years had passed. No son. Abram's getting a little older. He's looking at his wife. She's, she's looking like not too young anymore. She's looking a little bit too old. The clock is ticking. Sometimes women start looking at their biological clock and they're going, I'm 35. Okay, my clock is ticking. Quick. And women make wrong decisions looking at their clock and not looking at God's clock. But he's looking at his wife and he's, you know, he's checking out her biological clock and he says, you know what? We ain't got no kids yet. I'm not that young. She surely is not that young. And he's beginning to think, you know what? I got to come up with an alternative plan because God's just not doing what he's supposed to do. In those days, <clears throat> if a man was childless, the law that was established is that they were to adopt a servant. And that servant would be the heir to their wealth. To make sure that their wealth or their estate did not fall into someone else's hands, but to the person that they chose. Whoever they wanted, that's who it would go to. And there was actually an adoption tablet that was found in Mesopotamia when they were unearthing archaeological artifacts. And it spoke of a servant being adopted as a man's heir to his estate. And what it said on that tablet, it said, It is declared that if the master should have a son of his own, that the son would take a double share of the inheritance. But after the son, the servant would be the next in order of inheritance to take his proper share. But if the master died childless, then the servant becomes his sole heir. So Abram already had this in mind. He already had something going just in case God didn't come through. And Abram believes that that's the kind of plan that he needed to put into effect, a plan B, because plan A wasn't working too good. So plan B, plan A was God's promise. God's promise, but it didn't seem to be coming along too soon, so he already had plan B ready, just in case. Some of you all got plan B. You all got it in your head. If this thing don't work out, I'll fall into this one. If this marriage don't work out, I got plan B. If this job don't work out, I got plan B. If this friendship don't work out, I got plan B. You got plan B. What are you doing with the plan B? God didn't give you a plan B. He only gave you a plan A. Because that's not what God promised to Abram, and that's not what God has promised to each one of us. What God had promised Abram was something beyond Abram's wildest imaginations. But what happens is that he tells God, you know what? I'm a little disappointed. It's not happening. Nothing's happening the way you said it was going to happen. And he tells God, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the Bible says that Eliezer, 
was the servant. He was the steward of Abram's household. Up to that time, he had been a faithful, loyal servant to Abram. And as the years are going by, I want you to put yourself in Eliezer's place now. I want you to think about him. Here he is. He's serving Abram. He's there with him. Whatever you want, whatever you need, he's a faithful, loyal servant. And the years are going by. And don't think he's, he's you know, he's not looking around just like, when is the sun going to come? He's looking around and going, hey, you know what? I, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. Because he already knows he's the one that's going to get all the stuff. And he just began to look around and say, you know what? One day, one day this is all going to be mine. I got the wealth. I got the flocks. I got the herds. I got it all coming down. It's all going to be kicked down my way. One of these days. Have you ever looked at something and said, one of these days, that's going to be mine. One of these days. Because Abram wasn't... Uh, having a son anytime soon, he was up there in age, the probability of him being a father really wasn't believable. Not only wasn't it believable to Abram, it wasn't believable to anybody. So eventually he was looking to be the heir of everything. So you're Eliezer, you're serving your master, thinking that every day your leader is getting a little bit older and a little bit older. He ain't moving as fast as he used to. Now he needs for you to go get his water for him. Now he needs for you to do this and do that for him. And so you're kind of counting the days because one day all this is going to be yours. But can you imagine one day all his hopes, all his dreams, everything was lost on the day that baby was born. Everything. All of his future. All of his dreams. All of his wealth. Everything was gone. How would you feel? Man, you just got bumped. Bumped by a baby. I can't even imagine how Isaac felt. I mean, how Eliezer felt on the day that Isaac was born. Everyone around the whole house was all excited. A baby! And he's like, man, that baby was born. I'm bumped. His whole world just came crashing down. All his hopes and dreams for position, for wealth, for prestige, for respect, everything was now gone. There was a time that the Bible tells us Later on in Genesis, that Isaac got sick. I wonder how Eliezer might have felt. I wonder if he's going to die. I wonder if I'm still going to get it. I wonder if all this is going to be mine one day. Was it a sickness unto death or was it just a cold he's going to get over? Was he still going to inherit everything? I wonder if he secretly might have even wanted Isaac to die. I wonder how well he took it later on when Abraham told him, I want you to teach my son how to herd the flocks, how to take care of them, how to be a shepherd. See, I, Abraham was up there in age, so now he couldn't go out there and teach him. So he told Eliezer, you go out there and you teach him. I wonder how well he taught Isaac. 
Did he do his best? Especially knowing that now Isaac was the one who was going to take over. Isaac was the one that was going to get everything that was supposed to have been his. I don't know what Eliezer felt. There is no mention in the Bible of his feelings, no mention of the Bible of how he responded or how he reacted. But I thought it was important to bring out this servant because even though we don't know how he felt, even though we don't read a one word of complaint, I will tell you this. We'll never read where he rebelled. He never rebelled. So many times in scripture, we find a lot of men and women of God rebelling. A lot of them complaining. Psalm 13, 1 and 2 has David saying, How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? Was he complaining or what? Habakkuk 1 and 2 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? How long must I cry out to you and you do not save? One of the beauty, beautiful things about these scriptures is that you'll never read of God rebuking David or Habakkuk for having those words come out of their mouth. He doesn't rebuke them, but he allows them to be recorded in his word so that you and I can know even the greatest struggled at times in their life. And you and I can identify because we struggle. Sometimes you may not use these words, but they're there. They're in our heart. They're in our mind. They're in our spirit. They're in our thoughts. And then there came a day in Eliezer's life. When Abram called him and he said, I want you to go get my son a bride. Now, if you were Eliezer and your leader told you, I want you to go get my son a bride. You probably would have gone out and found the ugliest girl you could find. <laughs> Buck teeth, really fluffy or really, really skinny, big nose, hunchback, bow leg, and said, here's your bride. Because it was all up to Eliezer. He was the one that was doing the picking for Isaac. He was the one that first laid eyes on the woman that Isaac was going to marry. Imagine you don't get a choice in who you're going to marry. Somebody else picks it for you. The one that you took their wealth. You took their position. You took their prestige. You took all of that. How much trust would you have in a man that you took everything from him? Would you trust him with picking you the right bride or the right groom? Some of you are like, I wouldn't trust anybody. But you know what I loved about Eliezer? He proved true to his colors. True to his colors of love and loyalty. Because when he was sent on an assignment by Abraham to find a bride, he was a good man. 
He didn't look for somebody that needed to go on the show The Swan or Extreme Makeover. He didn't find somebody who had all of the problems physically, emotionally, mentally. He went out and found the best he could find. He found the most beautiful woman he could find. But I want you to understand something, that he just didn't go to a town and say, oh, there she is. The Bible says that he had to go through a desert, long desert, on a camel, putting up with a camel's attitude, putting up with the heat during the day, cold at night. He had to go through all of that stuff to go find this woman. He could have just been satisfied and found a woman in the first town he went to. But he didn't. He looked around that first town. Nope, she's not here. Were there women there? Yeah. But it wasn't up to par with what he was going to choose for his master's son's wife. He could have just brought this girl back and said, this is all I could find. This is it. And he would have had to accept it. Because Abram left everything to Eliezer to choose. But Eliezer refused to do that. He refused to get back. He refused to be disloyal with a commission that was given to him. He found the most beautiful bride that he could find, Rebecca. And I read this today and it really surprised me because it said how do you insult a servant how do you put down a servant in Matthew 25 23 you all know the scripture where it says that his master replied well done thou good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a few things I will now put you in charge over many things come and share your master's happiness when you're a servant, a real servant, a servant's greatest threat will always be a mentality of entitlement. Always. I deserve this. I deserve it. As a, a servant, a servant knows their mentality. They don't deserve anything. And so that's something that every servant always has to battle, that mentality of entitlement. What is in it for me? What do I get out of it? And those kind of thoughts and those kind of plans are what will destroy any servant of God. It will destroy any plan that God may have for your life if you have an entitlement issue. See, I think everybody goes through those entitlement days. Everybody. You know, the first ones that I was thinking of, entitlement, pastor's kids. All pastor's kids think they have entitlement issues. You know, don't you know who my dad is? My son tried that one time. Last time. One and only time that we ever found out that he used those words. Don't you know who my dad is? Couldn't use it. But there's a lot of people who feel entitled. Lot, the, the, you know, the, the ones who have the most problems with entitlement 
are the ones who have been here the longest. They feel they're entitled. They're entitled to things. They're entitled to special privileges. I don't know. If I read my Bible, whoever's been saved the longest, they have more entitlement than others. I haven't read that. If you know that scripture, you can show it to me because then that would mean I'm really entitled. But we don't have that. doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You know, there are some people who like to say, don't you know how long I've been here? Well, if you've been here that long, then you should be the example of a servant that much more. I mean, when we have God working on our side, we have God working beside us, and we know that everything's going to work out okay, don't throw out entitlement. Eliezer did not have any entitlement issues. Did he have the right to? Yeah, he did. He could have, but he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew how he was supposed to do it, and he knew that he could not function on entitlement, even though he was next in line, even though it was, he could taste the riches, he could taste all of that. He said, you know what? I am not here for me. I am here for my master's son. In Romans 8.28, you all know the scripture, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And that's the promise that each and every one of us have. But at some point in our lives, when we start going through things, we begin to feel, you know, things aren't working out all that well. They're not working out together for good. I can't see the good in what I'm experiencing. I can't see the good in what I'm going through. Where is the good? And that's like, like Abram telling God, what good is all this? I can't see the good in all this. I mean, we have problem after problem and difficulty and obstacle and barriers at one right after another after another. Where is the good? Show me, God, what good is going to come out of this. And it can be really frustrating when nothing seems to be working out for good the way we think it should be. But God didn't rebuke Abram for his complaint, and he surely doesn't rebuke us. What he did to Abram is he reassured him. You know, and I, I kind of wondered, why didn't God give Abram a kid right then? I mean, he could have just gotten, allowed Sarah to get pregnant right then. Or within that year, he could have done it. But you know what? He had to wait. You know how long he had to wait? A few more years. Years. Not nine months, not ten months, not one year, not two years, not three years years and I can't even imagine how frustrating it might have been for Abram what good is all of this if I don't have a son and God says you know what I got it covered stop stop worrying about who you're going to marry stop worrying about this person or that person stop worrying about your bills stop worrying about your job stop worrying about all of those things that are in my control if you're faithful to God, he's in control. Now, if you're not faithful to God, you know what? Worry. <laughs> you better worry. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> Please, no. Uh, you would have cause to worry. But 
if you've been faithful to God, hey, you can rest in him. You can lean on him. You can trust in him. It was quite a few years before the prophecy of a child was fulfilled. When God could have given it to him in nine months, God said, nah, you need your faith grown. You need your character to grow. You need your maturity to develop. And that's what he's doing in all of us. When we don't get what we want when we want it, he's growing us. He's changing us. He's stretching us. He's challenging us. He's maturing us. And we all struggle with that same question. Why doesn't God deal with my problem now? Right now. Because I'm sure that that's what Abram wanted. He wanted a kid now. You're going to give me a kid? Give me a kid now. I want it now. That's why he was already going to plan B. He was already going to adopt Eliezer to be his kid. Because he wanted it now. He needed a solution to his problem now. How many of you are looking for your own solution because God is not coming through now? See, God wasn't upset with Abraham trying plan B, even telling him about plan B. It's just that plan B wasn't the way that God wanted to do things in his life. Plan B is never God's way for our lives. Never. God doesn't always answer the way that we want and the way and when we want. But that's the way he wants it. He wants it done when he wants and how he wants. That's plan A. God doesn't have plan B for us. Plan B is when we do things our own way and then he says, I, my kid, why didn't they just wait? Why didn't they just wait? How many of us as parents have told our kids, okay, just wait and I'll do this for you. And they get impatient. I remember so many times I tell my kids, you know, wait till after dinner and you'll get a cookie. Wait till after dinner and you'll get this or you'll get that. And right out, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. And there they are climbing, climbing. The whole cookie jar falls. Couldn't wait. They wanted it now. But the time's not right. But you think it is, and God's looking at the whole thing, and he's going, it's not right right now. It's not the right time. God wants to use your situation to accomplish something bigger, something more important that even you or I could even think of. When something is really important, God really wants to take his time to make sure that everything is in place. Sometimes the people around us aren't ready. Like Sarah? Sarah, I don't think Sarah was ready to have a kid when Abram was complaining. She, you know, we're going to get into the study of Sarah, but uh, she didn't even believe God. She laughed. She said, yeah, right. I'm going to get pregnant. Yeah, right, I'm going to have a kid. She laughed. She was immature. She wasn't ready. And maybe what you're wanting to happen, maybe the people around you, aren't ready for it yet. So God is having to prepare them, just like God had to prepare Sarah to have a kid. She wasn't that mature yet. And then there are times when God rates for the right time because he wants it to have a really big impact in our life. Because 
we may not be ready. And we think we're ready. And God says, you're not ready yet. You're not there yet. See, God doesn't only just hand out wishes and, and, and dreams and say, okay, here. You, you want him? Okay, here, you could have him. You want her? Oh, yeah, you could have her. They're not done yet. They're still cooking. God is still preparing them. But some of you get impatient. I want it now. Now. And you get them half cooked. And when you get a guy or you get a girl half cooked, you're going to get sick. You're going to get sick. You're going to get sick spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially, every which way, Ellie. <laughs> you're going to get sick because they're not ready. They're not cooked. God is in the business of taking people who are not what they should be and building them up to what he knows they can be. And as he does that, sometimes it means that he's not going to give us what we think we need for right now. Sometimes it means that it, the answer may be on hold. In fact, most of the time that we don't get what we want from God is because we're not ready. Even when we think we are, we're not ready. You know, because we're all impatient. We are so impatient. When I, I remember moving into uh, my little house, and one of the first things that I told Chuck, Chuck, I need a hot water dispenser. I cannot wait for the microwave. How impatient is that? I want my hot water. And then I was already complaining. It comes out too slow. I want it faster. I want my tea now. And I knew I was speaking on this message, and I was behind a slow driver today coming over here. Oh, I was like, ugh. I'm impatient when I drive. Put me behind somebody who drives too slow, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, help me. Scripture tells us, Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. And be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then you all know the scripture in James 1, where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And those trials are when the things you want you don't get or when things don't work out the way you like. Rejoice because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work in you that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Doesn't necessarily mean that every trial and everything is always from God. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves, but God will use it all together 
to work for good. Learning to be a good and loyal servant takes maturity, takes time. And that's God's desire for our life, to become a servant, to have an attitude of a servant, to be willing to be second in line, ready. You can taste it. You can taste the position. You can taste the prestige. You can taste all of it. And then guess what? You get bumped. You get bumped. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get that job promotion. You're not going to get that leadership position. You're not going to get that endowment that was promised to you in a will. You're not going to get that heirloom that was supposed to go to you in your family. You're not going to get it. What are you going to do? The devotion that I, was, uh, that I got on my phone today said this, surrender in spiritual terms is not admitting defeat as much as it is admitting that we are not the center of our own lives. That's what surrender is. That's what servanthood is all about. Servanthood is an attitude that has to be acquired. It's an acquired taste. That means you have to kind of like grow with that attitude. I don't know how many of us enjoyed coffee when we were four years old. We, we probably hated the smell. We hated it was hot. We only liked cold stuff. You know, like I liked Ovaltine and cocoa and all of that. We didn't really like hot stuff. But how many people like coffee now? Starbucks is making a mint off of you guys that enjoy coffee. But we didn't enjoy it when we were kids. But we enjoy it now as an adult. Because the taste for coffee came with the maturing of our palate. It came as we developed eating a lot of different types of food and drinking a lot of different things. We developed that taste for coffee. And now some of you can't even function without it. You wake up in the morning, you're like, where is it? Where is it? You don't even want to talk to anybody until you get it in your system. And it's the same thing with an attitude of servanthood. An attitude of servanthood for other people doesn't come naturally, but it comes with the maturing of our Christian character. It comes as we develop our palate for the things of God. It comes as we have a desire to serve others and to be a willing vessel. The heart of Eliezer, I'm sure, didn't come naturally, but it came because he was following his leader who was following God. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Look at your own attitude of servanthood. Look at the attitude of Eliezer. Are you willing to lay aside your own wants, your own desires, your own, I want it now, your own complaints, because you don't have what you want right now? And you got to be willing to say, God, you know what, in your time, I'll just, I'll just chill. I'm going to stop being impatient. I'm going to stop having plan B in my life. I'm going to stop pushing. And I'm just going to let you have control. Stand with me tonight. And as you stand and your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, 
I want you to think of this servant, Eliezer. His attitude. Even the attitude of Abram. Eliezer had a servant attitude, a willingness to do whatever, even though he got bumped. You don't see any animosity from his life. You don't see any rebellion. You don't see anything from him. No complaints. But he continued to stay loyal and he continued to serve. Maybe you've lost that servant attitude. Maybe you haven't gotten what you wanted and you got a little angry. Or maybe you're like Abram and you already have plan B. Plan A is not working. So you already have plan B. If this thing don't work out, I, I, it's all right. I'll take care of it. And God says, I don't want you to have plan B. Plan A is for me to grow you. Plan A is for me to mature you. Plan A is the best. And so you need to throw away plan B. And as Luis begins to to sing, I'm just going to open up the altars and let you have your time with God tonight. The altars are open. Not my will, and but your will be done in my life. For Lord, every 